thing. Good to see you all here tonight, and some of you that weren't here Sunday, good to see you. Good to see Clayton up and moving. How you feeling, buddy? Better? Don't rough him up too much tonight, okay? He's still recovering. Wait at least a couple more hours. Good to see Casey. I don't know why you're here, but it is good for to see you regardless. You, she's, she's due. Due to have that baby any second. So she said 12 days from now, but no, that was, what was your due date? It was like Sunday? Yeah. Pray for Casey, okay? Pray for the baby and uh, healthy delivery and baby and mama and all of that, okay? And uh, Ron and Hannah's family are here tonight. They were sick Sunday, so good to see some of you back that weren't, weren't here. Good. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8, please. Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at just one verse here tonight in Mark chapter 8. And I want to draw your attention to verse 34. The Bible says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The context of verse 34 is verse 31, where the Bible says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus has just told his disciples that he must die for the sin of men on the cross. And with that statement that Jesus made that he would suffer many things, that he would be rejected, he would be killed, crucified, and rise again, with that statement, Jesus basically had shattered every notion and every dream that his disciples had held concerning the Messiah. And if you remember this, their idea of the Messiah was that he was a conquering king, a ruler who would liberate them from Roman oppression. But Jesus had come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to give his life. And he will and would be that conquering king, but that wasn't his purpose. But that was what was in the minds of the disciples. And so for him to tell them that I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be rejected, it, it was... It was the opposite of what they had imagined following Jesus Christ would be like. And as soon as Jesus gives that information, we find that Jesus calls His disciples to come around Him. He calls the crowds to gather near to Him so that they can hear. And Jesus begins to speak. And that's verse 34, when He had called the people unto Him and His disciples also, He said unto them, and as Jesus gathers the crowds and he starts to talk to them and his disciples, what he says to them, in essence, is there is a very high price that is attached to being a follower of Jesus Christ. The words of Jesus in this verse, they strike a death blow 
to the notion of Christianity being something that is cheap, something that is easy, something that's a feel-good religion. And that is really what is passed off as Christianity today, something cheap, something that is uh, easy, something that is feel-good. And Jesus makes this statement very clear. No such thing is true if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians who believe that they can have Jesus and they can have the world too. Many believe they can claim to be followers of Christ, but yet live their life the way that they please. And Jesus lets us know in no uncertain terms that that notion is utterly false. If a person is going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a very high price to pay. And this verse makes it clear that the, the true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's going to cost us something. And I want to show you what Jesus has to say about this matter of being a follower of Christ. And the title of the message tonight is Dying with Christ. I want to just take a little bit of time tonight and unpack some phrases in verse 34 and see what Jesus has to say about what it means to follow Christ. And I want to make application here tonight because we need to ask ourselves these very same questions. We claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but are we really truly following Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm asking tonight for your spirit, Lord, to give liberty to teach and preach your word. I'm asking tonight, Father, for your presence. Lord, I'm asking tonight for calmness here that we might study and understand the word of God. And Lord, I'm asking that you would make application in our hearts as it pleases you. And I pray that you help us to stay alert, attentive, awake tonight, focused and engaged with God's word. And may your will be done through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I read somewhere once where a pastor was commenting on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he said this. He said, Jesus would have been a public relations manager's nightmare. Every time that he began to attract a large following, Jesus would up the ante. He would tell them how high the cost of following him would be, and the crowds would begin to vanish. Jesus did this so people would know the truth. He wanted them to know that it would not be cheap or easy to be his disciple. And I'm glad that Jesus did that. I'm glad that we have, uh, that the Lord wants us to know the truth. I'm glad that we have the measuring stick of the Word of God to examine our life by. And I'll just move on from this after I make this statement because I'm going to just make a quick application here. I just want to remind you and I want to encourage you and I want to tell you that it's a serious thing with the Lord to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, number one, but then to join a New Testament church. It is a serious thing with the Lord. Church and membership in a scriptural New Testament church is so often treated as a, as a byproduct or as a secondary thing. And, and often people claim Christ and they claim, uh, you know, to be a follower of Christ, but there's, there's no loyalty to Christ or there's, or there's all kinds of other things that take precedent in our life. And the things that are important to Jesus Christ are secondary in our life. Church membership being one of those things. And I would simply tell you this. Listen, when you join Plaque Road Baptist Church, you have a responsibility 
You have an obligation to Jesus Christ. We have a constitution and bylaws. We have, we have a church covenant. And when you join Black Road Baptist Church, what you're saying is, I covenant together with you, other followers of Jesus Christ, and this is the way that we are going to uh, live our life, and this is the way that we're going to conduct uh, uh, the way that we live, and we are in agreement with these things. It's a serious responsibility. And maybe, maybe, maybe even as the pastor of the church, I need to be more particular in holding all of us accountable to the things that we say we're covenanting together in. I'm not going to say any more about that right now. But I want to remind you, it's not a light thing with God. And it should not be a light thing with you or me. We have responsibility to each other and to Christ. It's a privilege to be a part of the Lord's church. Amen? Enough of that for right now. In this verse, Jesus shares with us a pattern for true discipleship. And I want to remind you that not everybody who claims to be a Christian is truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those who would be his disciples, his followers, have some requirements that they must meet in this life. And I want to share those with you here. Now, we are to make disciples. When we go preach the gospel, we're making disciples. And honestly, true salvation, it ought to be in the same sentence and the same meaning as disciple of Jesus Christ. It ought to be. Sadly, it's not in many cases these days. And I just want us to see some things that Jesus says here as a pattern for true discipleship. First of all, I just want to break these phrases down. Now look what Jesus says in verse 34. When he had called the, the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me. That phrase, whosoever will come after me. It simply means, the, uh, coming after me, it means to be in the back. It means to be behind or to follow. And the implication of, of what is being said here in Jesus' words is this, that Jesus Christ is the one who's supposed to be in the lead. If any man will come after me, who will follow me, Jesus Christ is the one who's supposed to be in the lead. His men remembered when he first call, called them to follow him. When he called them to follow him, they left everything. Everything about their life that was regular or normal as far as a, a profession, a, a making a living and those things, they left those things to follow Jesus Christ. They left family, friends, occupation, everything else in their lives to follow Jesus. To the rest of the crowd that was there that day, when Jesus says, if any man will come after me, he's, he's, he's giving a call to them, uh, those, those who would, if they wanted to follow Jesus Christ, it was a call to salvation for them. Let me say this to you. 
being born again, being saved, whatever term you want to use for salvation, it's far more than praying a prayer at an altar. It's far more than saying some words beside your bed. Genuine salvation is far more than, 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 what it's, than what it's thought of as today. And a lot of people come to an altar. They'll pray a prayer. They'll profess to know Jesus Christ. But let me say this. When, when a person is truly saved and converted to Jesus Christ, salvation is about a radical commitment to leave the old life behind and to follow Jesus Christ in a new life. A very different life. Being born again is about being made a new creation where old things are passed away and all things are become new. You can pray the sinner's prayer all day long and not get saved. You can take the Romans road or you can take your journey through John as these little catchphrases are and never truly be saved. The fact that a person's life doesn't ever change or doesn't seem to have much of a difference to it is indicative of a person who's never been truly saved and not a follower of Jesus Christ. The fact is you only get saved when God convicts you of your sin and draws you to Himself. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except by me. And no one comes to the Father except the Father which sent me draws him. And when God draws you to himself in repentance toward God and you respond by faith, salvation does take place in the heart. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. It's not just a fire escape. True salvation is not a form of easy believing that leads to an unchanged life. True salvation, when it happens in a person's life, will make such a radical change in your life that you begin to act different. You begin to think different. Your desires are different. Your habits become different. Your interests and your commitments change. When you come to Jesus Christ and are truly saved, you will want to follow Him. You'll want to have Him in the lead. Where Jesus is, that's where you're going to want to be. Come after me, that phrase, come after me. Well, to the lost person, it would be a call to salvation. And the question is, are you saved tonight? But to the saved person, it's a call to a radical commitment to Christ. And the question that we need to ask ourselves here before we move on is Jesus Christ really in the lead in my life? And am I truly and radically, if you want to call it that, following Him? What's really leading in our life? The next phrase, Jesus says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. This phrase literally means this, to completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from someone else. 
Think about it. To completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from someone else. It's the same word that was used to describe Peter's denial of Jesus Christ outside of the high priest's home. In Matthew 26 and verse 34, turn over there just quick. Just look at it, or I'll just read it to you if you're not there. 26 and 34, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, This night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. In other words, disown me. Utterly separate yourself from me. Denying ourself. Now, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this, okay? Denying self is not the same thing as self-denial. Okay? i got to say it again so you can grab onto this. Denying self is not the same thing as self-denial. Some people practice self-denial by withholding certain things from themselves. You know how some religions do that during Lent season, right? We can't eat meat during Lent, and so we deny ourselves, or there's some self-denial here, and so we eat fish instead, or there's certain things that we have to give up, and so on. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Denying self is far more intense than that. Denying self implies that I stop listening to my own voice. Denying self means I stop leaning on my own strength. I stop trying to fulfill my own wishes or desires. And when I truly deny myself, I have no will of my own, but only His. I have no plans, but His plans for my life. I have no wants, but what He wants for me. When I deny myself, I am giving up my rights, and I'm relinquishing control to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we live out what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Denying self is far more intense than, or denying himself is far more intense than self-denial. This is a concept that I think is foreign to us in a lot of ways. Most religions, most popular ministries, what are they focused on? They're focused on catering to self. They want people to feel good about themselves. They want to build up people's self-esteem. They want to make us rejoice in our achievements and our own abilities. But Jesus said, on the other hand, that He wants mankind to know that without Him, we can't do anything. In John 5 and 15, He's the true vine. We're the branches. Without me, He can do nothing. Jesus is calling those of us who claim Him as our Savior to make a total commitment to His, and I'm going to say the word, it's, it's a buzzword in a lot of, around a lot of Baptist churches. We make a total commitment to His Lordship. 
in our life. He wants absolute control. And we say those words. I say those words. But do we actually live by those words? In reality, I do what I want to do. He wants absolute control in every area of life, and He calls us to disown our own selves and give Him the control of life. The phrase, let Him deny Himself, suggests a once-for-all action. In other words, what it's talking about is we're to deny ourselves and then to forget we exist. That's kind of what it means to completely disown, to separate. So Jesus says there's a price to pay. If you're really going to follow me, to come after me, I've got to be in the lead, not you. You've got to deny yourself. That means disowning your own thoughts and will and ambition and plans and let me control the reins of your life. Then notice what he says. Come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross. Again, this is the pattern for being a disciple of Christ. Take up his cross. What does that mean? Well, that phrase had much more meaning for the people of Jesus' day than it does for us. I've read this, that historians estimate that over 30,000 people were crucified by the Romans during Jesus' lifetime. Every person who heard Jesus say these words would have known exactly what He was saying to them, to take up your cross. In that day, a cross, it wasn't a piece of jewelry. You know that. It wasn't a decoration on a church building. Not in that day. A cross was an instrument of shame. It was an instrument of humiliation and suffering and torture and death. And when a man took up his cross, he was beginning his death march. That's what he was doing. When a man took up his cross, he carried the instrument of his own death on his own shoulders. And when he reached his destination, he was laid down on the cross that he just carried. He was nailed to it, he suffered on it, and he died on that cross. When Jesus called these people to take up their cross, they knew exactly what he was talking about. But that message has become so clouded in our day. You hear people say, Oh, this is just my cross to bear. You heard people say that? It's my cross to bear in life. Some people think that the burdens of life are a cross that they must bear. Some people say that a, a lost or abusive spouse, a wayward child, a, a crazy boss, etc., is a cross. They have to bear. Some people think that an illness or a physical handicap in life 
is their cross. That trial and hardships that they face in life are their cross. But let me say to you tonight, trials and hardships of life are not your cross to bear. When Jesus tells his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, he's calling us to die to ourselves. He's calling us to commit to a lifestyle, a lifestyle of living death. Think about that. A lifestyle of living death, continually dying to myself. Go to Galatians chapter 2. We'll get back to Galatians chapter 2 very soon. But Paul talks about this. In writing to the churches of Galatia, chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, my life isn't my own. The old Paul is dead. I'm crucified when I received Christ as my Savior, except I'm still living, but the life that I'm living isn't my own. It's Christ who lives in me. And this life that I'm living, I live by faith, the faith of the Son of God. When Jesus called these people to take up their cross, they knew that he was calling them to a commitment of death. He was, he's calling them and he calls us to willingly bear the shame, to bear the reproach, the humiliation even at times, the suffering, the hatred, the alienation, and even death that may come to those who associate with him. That's a high price to pay. Most people aren't willing to pay that price. We take up our cross when we choose the way of the Lord over the way of the world, regardless of the cost. We take up our cross when we live out biblical principles in our lives, in our business relationships, regardless of what it costs us. We take up our cross when we're willing to suffer shame or reproach for His name. I just wonder, and so we have to ask ourselves the question, are we really carrying our cross? Not many people are truly carrying their cross today. They're not willing to die to themselves. Many are quick to compromise when it makes their way, their life a little bit easier. Businessmen will lie to keep their customers to make a buck. Christians will often lie to save face. Church folks compromise with the world to avoid being singled out or humiliated for being a believer. But taking up your cross means that you're willing to identify yourself with Jesus Christ, with His death, with His Word, regardless of what it might cost you personally, publicly, or even financially. That's not a side of Christianity that you hear very much about these days. It isn't popular to talk about sacrifice 
death, and suffering. But essentially, that's exactly what Christianity is all about. There's a high price to pay for being a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read a couple of passages here. Second Corinthians 11, <clears throat> verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul was one who lived a life, listen, of living death, continually dying to himself for the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said this in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's his conclusion. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, I'm, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for nothing I am behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. And he goes on to talk about the other things that, that he experienced in his life for Christ. But the point that I'm making here is that Paul said all of these things, the persecutions, the distresses, it was for Christ's sake. And he would glory in his infirmities, that the power of Christ would rest upon him. And again, we talk about how these phrases are used. The, 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 the weight behind this taking up your cross is actually also a once-for-all kind of meaning to it. In other words, what it's saying to us is that we're to take up our cross and to never lay it down again until we reach the place of my death. Jesus says there's a price to pay. Are we really paying the price? Are we truly disciples of Jesus Christ? We have to have our ease, and we have to have our plans and those plans have to be carried out. And we've got all of our ambitions and the things that we work so hard for 
are these future ideas of how we want to bring contentment and happiness to our lives. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to die to yourself. And the last thing that he says in our text in Mark chapter 8 The pattern for discipleship is whosoever will come after me, he's got to be in the lead. You've got to deny yourself, disown yourself, your own ambitions and ideas. You've got to die to yourself, take up your cross. And then he says, and follow me, and follow me. True discipleship of Jesus turns his back on his old self and his old life. The true disciple of Jesus takes up his cross and is willing to lay down everything for the glory of God. The true disciple of Jesus takes his place behind the Lord, and he follows him wherever he leads. The true disciple is walking in obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting about this phrase is this phrase isn't a once-for-all type action, this phrase is an ongoing action. Jesus is calling His people to be constant in following Him. Now, what's the application? Well, some people will follow Jesus on Sunday, but they want to take a different path on Monday. Some people follow the Lord when they need help. Oh, things are bad in my life. And oh, things are just the, the finances and everything's getting turned upside down. And oh, there's all these problems in my life. And we run, we run to the church and we run to the pastor's office. And what do I do? And help me, help me. I can't help you. People want to follow the Lord when things aren't going so great. You know what I'm saying? but they want to take another path when all of a sudden things start to get a little better. That's not what the Lord is looking for. He's calling for His people to make radical commitments to follow Him all the time, all the way to the end of time. What I'm trying to say here is that there's nothing cheap or easy about real Christianity and really following Christ. It costs something to be a follower of the Lord. As we close it up, we have to ask the question tonight, can we honestly say that we are totally committed to Jesus Christ? Well, I think I'm committed to Christ. All right, let me ask the question then. Are there other things in life that are coming before Him? Can we honestly say that we're following Him when we do as we please and, and as we please? I do as I please and when I please to do it. Can we honestly say we're following Christ? Can we honestly say that we're bearing our cross? If we can't hardly make time to be faithful to the commitments of the house of the Lord... Are we really following Christ? Are we really carrying our cross? 
It's always good for us to examine our priorities and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, help me keep you first in my life because I can't do that without you. The price of discipleship is high and there's really nothing cheap about serving and following the Lord. There's a lot of, quote, Christians who think they can pray a simple prayer, go to heaven, but still live life as they please. They're deceiving themselves. If you think that you can go to church and you can do some religious things, and that's going to be enough to secure your salvation and a home in heaven, you're also deceiving yourself. Genuine salvation, it needs to be understood when we witness to people and we are, are giving the gospel, we need to make it clear that, listen, listen, Jesus is not just giving you a fire escape. He's calling you to a radical commitment to follow Him, that He's the Lord of your life. And I think that's the key word, Lord, Lord. Amen? We ought to surrender to His kingship over myself. So ask the question tonight, number one, are you saved? Because genuine salvation is going to be a radical and eternal commitment to give your life to the Lord. Number two, if you are saved and you claim to be a follower of Christ, are there some areas of life that He's not really in the lead in? And ask ourselves, Lord, open my eyes and my heart that I might see that because I do want you to be in the lead. And Lord, I do want to be a follower of Christ. I think our culture and our lifestyle often blinds our eyes to the realities of these truths. Pray for Brother Noah. Pray for those that he ministers to. There's some issues that he's dealing with and facing right now that, that really, for those people, it is a call to how committed are they to really following Jesus Christ, identifying with Christ. What's it going to cost them? That's a real thing. For them, not so much for us. But I wonder if the days would come when it is going to be a call for us and a test for us. What's it going to cost us? And are we ready? Amen? It's always a good reminder. Am I really following Christ? Am I really a disciple? Jesus gives us the pattern. He's got to be in the lead. You've got to disown yourself. You've got to die to yourself. And you've got to keep on following wherever He leads. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You'd use Your Word to just encourage and challenge us tonight, to cause us to think, may have some reflection, and Lord, that we'd be sober-minded about truth. And I, I know that the tendency is to, to think within myself, yes, I'm doing these things. Yes, I'm following Christ, but 
our own standard, our own viewpoint is not the right standard. Lord, I pray that we would have a humble heart that says, Lord, examine me, show me. And Lord, where you are dethroned in my life by something else, Lord, I want to be submitted to that, that you're truly Lord. Lord, where I'm taking the reins and control, Lord, I want to die to those things, to myself, so that you are truly Lord. And Father, I pray that you would grow us in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.